0: Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. This, uh, this is Series 2, Episode 126 of this podcast, and we're going to get dive back into our Come Follow Me studies for this week. Uh, we are now on the week of May the 4th to May the 10th, uh, covering Mosiah 11 to 17, A Light That Can Never Be Darkened. There is a lot to cover, particularly in this first section of the personal scripture study uh, part of the manual. Uh, it's, it covers Mosiah chapters eleven to thirteen and chapter seventeen. I can stand for truth even when I stand alone. So this obviously focuses; these chapters focus on King Noah and uh, Abinadi, and we are going to focus on Abinadi for the first couple of days, particularly when he uh, teaches uh, and testifies. Uh, the, kind of the and the events that surround uh, when he starts his testifying. So in Mosiah chapter eleven, verses one to nineteen, we get a, a, a bit of context, a bit of background behind who King Noah is, um, the things he does, and the priests that he uh, and, uh, he kind of appoints as well. Uh, he talks about kind of the he talks about the sin, talks about uh, how he doesn't follow the commandments, the tax, the, the the grievous taxes that he uh, puts on his people, the priests that he consecrated. In place of the ones by his father who were prideful uh it talks about the buildings the the, the building projects that he uh, funds from these taxes, the palace, the tower at the temple, and the seats where they can literally just lay themselves and their arms on these um these seats uh and so basically it paints a very vivid picture of the things that King Noah gets himself into and what he decides to do, which are against kind of the uh, which are against the um views of the lord but in verse 19 it's interesting because i think that it's in this verse that we really get the tipping point the lamanites have just attacked and king noah and his people fight them off Um, and what happens then is interesting in verse 19 it says and now because of this great victory they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts they did boast in their own strength saying that their 50 could stand against thousands of the lamanites And thus they did boast and did delight in blood, and the shedding of blood of their brethren, and this because of the wickedness of their king and priests. It's interesting that at this stage, it's then that Abinadi is appointed by the Lord to go forth among them. It's interesting that it's only at this point that The the stage is set where the the Lord feels that it's necessary to send Abinadi not up but not when the tax was laid not when the buildings were being built not when the um, unrighteous uh, behavior of the king and the priests but it's at this stage that the people have become so wicked because of the king and the priests that they become so prideful that they believe that it's all down to their own strength that then Abinadi is sent among the people um, that this wickedness has gone um, and he has kind of sp- spread and has grown in strength over that time so much that it, he feels that it's necessary. Uh, Brant Gardner said this about this, uh, this section, quote, Mormon is painting a picture of a people in apostasy from which they will be called to repentance by Abinadi. The setup necessitates our understanding of the fallen nature of Noah and his people. Their sins include the pride of their hearts. They achieved a victory, but ascribe it to their own strength and forget their God. Even worse, they did, they did delight in blood and the shedding of the blood of their brethren, quote. So it's at this stage that Abinadi is sent among the people. Uh, and Abinadi is obviously uh, one of those memorable uh, characters within the Book of Mormon. Uh, Robert J. Matthew said this, quote, The Nephite prophet Abinadi holds a singular place in the Book of Mormon. He is the first Nephite of whom we have record to die as a martyr. His doctrinal teachings are some of the most valuable in the Book of Mormon, clarifying the purpose of the Law of Moses, identifying who the Redeemer would be, and declaring some facts about the res- resurrection not previously mentioned in the Book of Mormon. He was capable of exquisitely colorful language sparked with fiery metaphor, yet at times was plain spoken to the point of bluntness. So far as we know, he converted but one man, Alma. Close quote. And we'll talk about the importance of that one man later. Uh, but it is, you know, Abinadi is one of those people that we uh, look to in the book of Mormon and see as a great uh, example to us to standing for truth, uh, because obviously we are not often put in situations where, uh, where we'll find out today and tomorrow what Abinadi was, but um, he still continued. Uh, he says in verse 21, and except they repent and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Yea, and they shall be brought into bondage and they shall be afflicted by the hand of their enemies. Um, D. Kelly Ogden and Andrew C. Skinner said this about the bondage that Abinadi spoke of. Quote, the only way to extricate ourselves from any kind of bondage is to cry out to the Lord. For that reason, he is called the saviour. He can rescue us from any kind of physical, spiritual, intellectual, or emotional bondage that holds us captive. But note, if we are, but not if we are rebellious, we have to be quick to observe his light before he will will be quick to respond to our plight, close quote. Um, Abinadi is clearly aware and has been made aware by the Lord of the um, plight of the people spiritually and that they are, you know, a long way from the standard that they should be. Uh, and so he has been sent by the Lord to testify of this. And he does so with boldness. He says in verse 25, And except they repent in sackcloth and ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God, I will not hear their prayers. Neither will I deliver them out of their afflictions. And thus saith the Lord, and thus hath he commanded me. So he lays it out clearly that unless they do some real humble repentance, then they are not going to receive that repentance which they, which, which they need. Robert A. Cloward uh, spoke about sackcloth and ashes and its kind of um, symbolic significance uh, in Sem- Semitic cultures about penitence and mourning. Uh, how it's an unrefined and inexpensive uh, material, and so it denotes abasement or abjection. Uh, you know, and it, it's meant to show that utter humiliation and that utter uh, you know humility which the people uh, would have. And so it's clear here that, you know, we we sometimes I think, I mean, I, I kind of look at this phrase sackcloth and ashes and just don't really understand the significance of it. But the fact that Abinadi has gone among the people and said that unless they repent in sackcloth and ashes, and let's remember, we don't see that very often in the Book of Mormon. We, we see often the need to repent, but not repent with sackcloth and ashes. And so that indicates how far the people have gone and what they need to do to be able to return back to their father in heaven. Um, through the saviour. Now obviously King Noah hears about this but uh, Abinadi escapes and um, King Noah is very upset about this and he you know he says that Abinadi will I will slay him if he comes among among my people. So that leads us then to verse 12 uh, sorry chapter 12 verse 1 where it says that and it came to pass after the space of two years that Abinadi came among them in disguise that they knew him not and began to prophesy among them. So Abinadi comes back uh, after two years, um, he's disguised, so no one knows it's him. And then he says, uh, Thus has the Lord commanded me, saying, Abinadi, go and prophesy. Which I always find a bit funny that, you know, he's. I mean, there are a number of um, potential reasons for this. I guess the most likely and the most practical reason uh, is that, you know, uh, it has been two years, so it's been quite a while, but. The people will possibly remember Abinadi and the king will have ordered his guard to keep an eye out for Abinadi and not allow him into the city or put some forth some sort of uh, punishment if he comes back. So he needs to get into the city in disguise. But then once he's in, well, he can start testifying and prophesying and the people will hear it. Uh, and so, you know, I guess I suppose that's the main reason. But of course, he continues um, and he talks about how the life of King Noah shall be valued as a garment in a hot furnace and continues to testify that they've not repented, and unless they repent, they'll be destroyed. The people are angry, they take him before the king, um, and the priests do their start to do their work. Um, and they say, and in verse 13 and 14, um, And now, O king, what great evil hast thou done, or what great sins have thy people committed, that we should be condemned of God or judged of this man? And now, O king, behold, we are guiltless, and thou, O king, hast not sinned. Therefore, this man has lied concerning you and he has prophesied in vain. Um, so clearly, you know, they're not really aware of the things they're doing, which are of uh, significance. And in verse uh, 17, uh, it says, And it came to pass that King Noah caused that Abinadai should be cast into prison. And he commanded that the priests should gather themselves together, that he might hold a council with them, w- what he should do with him. It's interesting that the priests have such uh, power and jurisdiction. Uh, Todd R. Kerr said this about uh, this point, quote, That Noah's shared jurisdiction with his priests is not surprising given the limited judicial role kings played in ancient Israel. Israel's king seldom participated in everyday judicial matters. Similarly, King Noah participated in a Benadai's trial, probably because the case arose in the capital city and involved charges of lying against the king and his household. Because the claims against the also involved priestly matters, the charge of false prophecy against the people, King Noah could not adjudicate the case without, without respecting the jurisdiction of his priests. Close quote. So again, this falls in line very much with uh, the kind of judicial systems and the relationship between the king and the priests in ancient Israel and uh, ancient Israelite cultures. And of course, this people who came from ancient Israel will be very familiar with those uh, cultures and will very likely have had some some, some traditions from that area. So we'll pause it there uh, as Abinadi stands before King Noah and his priests uh, on the next uh, after three days and um, We'll talk about a few more matters there. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything you've been studying, please share it at MattSRoberts90 on Twitter, or you can email ldstudiesession at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, and until we meet again.